With all their profound and striking statements, Job's friends were unable to discover his real problem. As we've heard before, his friends didn't understand God, they didn't understand Job, and they didn't even understand themselves. On our Wednesday edition of Through the Bible, we'll be in the 11th chapter of Job, and Dr. J. Vernon McGee's study introduces us to the last of Job's three friends, Zophar the Legalist. It seems that Zophar knew all the answers, and he spoke with dogmatic finality. And yet he wasn't able to help Job at all. So would you come on board the Bible bus and find a good seat? And if you brought your Bible along, then turn to Job 11 while we hear from a listener of our Beely broadcast in India. I'm thankful to my son who brought a radio to our home. I was from another faith and did all kinds of witchcraft things in our home. We were without peace and joy. One day my son was tuning the radio and came across the Beely Through the Bible program. We were very happy to listen to our own language via radio. The program touched my heart, and I started following the commandment of Jesus Christ. I trust in Jesus Christ. Now we have peace in our home. This radio program has brought me to the Lord Jesus Christ and has been providing spiritual food to me. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you remove people from their darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray that the Beely broadcast would continue to bring light to a lost people in need of Jesus Christ. Bless our time of study now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, friends, we come today to the 11th chapter of the book of Job. And you'll recall that we have been looking at the visit that his three friends have made to him in his deep grief and sorrow. And we come today to the last one of those friends. His name is Zophar. And Zophar is a legalist. He assumes, and rightly so as far as it goes, that God works according to measure, to law. He pretends to know what God will do in a given circumstance. He's different, I think, from Bildad. Bildad is a traditionalist. You just go back and look at what's happened in the past. And he has a scientific mind that would look at rocks and tell you how old the earth is and think that he knows quite a few things because he does know some things. Now, Zophar has a scientific mind too, but he puts the emphasis on the laws of God, that God works according to law and number, or better still, probably if you bring him up to date, he'd be more or less of an atheist. He would assume that this is a universe that's following law. He doesn't tell us who made the law or where it came from, but that we're in a universe that follows law. And by the way, you can't have law without somebody making the law. But nevertheless, they assume that this physical universe is following through in law. And he's one of these fellows that, well, you ask me another. <laughs> type. That's an individual, you know, that I have all the answer. He knows all the answers. Now, Zophar's first discourse here is the voice of legalism. He holds here that God is bound by laws and that he never operates beyond the 
circumference of his own laws. And I suppose that he's the senior member of the group. And he speaks with a dogmatic finality that's even more candid and crude than that of Bildad. Now, notice what he does here as we begin in verse 1. Then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Should not the multitudes of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? These men come up with some very striking statements and some of them that you wish you'd thought of yourself. That is, they have a way of putting that actually, which is true. Now, should not the multitude of words be answered? Now, what he's saying is just simply this, that Job is covering his sin with words. Well, Job has tried to make it clear that a man in his condition, suffering as he is, is not apt to put up a front. But this man ignores that, and he says, should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified just because you're talking your way out of this situation? Now, there are men that do that, that are unable to talk their way out of a situation, and they're able by a clever manipulation of words. That's the way some lawyers, you know, win cases in court. It's just the cleverness of the lawyer and not actually the fact that justice is being done at all. Now, this man goes even a step farther. He says, verse 3, "...should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed?" In other words, he's accusing Job of being a liar. And he not only accuses him of being a hypocrite, but he accuses him now of being a liar. And that's more crude than even Bildad was. Bildad said he was a hypocrite, but never called him a liar. Now he says, For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I'm clean in thine eyes. Now, this man is going to take the position that he is more or less on the inside. That is, he has a very pious position. He knows what God would do under certain circumstance. And Job's on the outside. He's not on the inside. And therefore, he wouldn't be able to know. And for that very reason, his feeling is that Job ought to listen to him because he has the final word, and his word, of course, is God's word. I had a letter the other day from a man, and it was a rather crude letter itself, but the man was rebuking me for a position that I held, and he said because I held that position meant that I not only was a very ignorant man, but that also I had no spiritual discernment whatsoever. And then he proceeded to give me his interpretation. And then when he finished giving me his interpretation, he said, Now I'm going to see whether you will listen to the Holy Spirit or not. Now, wasn't that interesting? That man claimed to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if I didn't listen to him, it meant that I was not listening to God. And he accused me in the course of the letter of taking the position that I knew it all and that I was being very dogmatic. 
May I say to you, I'm confident as I read that letter that that man had no notion at all that he himself was doing the very thing that he accused me of doing and that he claimed to be on the inside and that I was very much on the outside. Now, regardless of the facts of the case, and granted that the man did have inside information that I do not have access to, he certainly was not proceeding in a way to be helpful to me. In fact, he was not very helpful to me. That letter found its way into the round filing cabinet I have here in my office. In common colloquialism of the day, it's called a wastebasket. And I put it there because I felt that he had no message for me. Now, I don't think Zophar has a message for Job at all. And Job's going to make it clear that he doesn't have a message for him at all. Now, listen to him as he proceeds here in verse 5. But, oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. And, of course, if God did, he'd say the same thing Zophar was saying here. And since God wasn't speaking, Zophar would speak for him. Now, will you notice? And that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know, therefore, that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Now, that, may I say to you, is not a very comforting blow to give this man Job at this time. In fact, the matter is, this was very harsh. He's saying to him, you're not getting half what's coming to you, because actually you're lots worse. The fact you're suffering as much as you are just shows that you're lots worse than we even dream you are, and you're not really getting what's coming to you. That's not very helpful, I would say, to a man in Job's condition. And you must remember that all the time here, Job is a sick man, and he's in desperate pain during all this time. And he actually thinks he might expire at any moment. One moment he hopes he will, and we'll see that another moment he's not so anxious to expire. Verse 7, he says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty under perfection? And may I say to you, that's a great statement. But as Job's going to tell him, who doesn't know this? It's a marvelous statement. No man can discover God. The very interesting thing is we need to recognize what a profound statement this is. You see, God never had a Columbus. Nobody ever discovered him. God is revealed. And the only way you can know about God is what he is pleased to reveal of himself. And I've come to the conclusion he's revealed very little of himself to us. And in fact, the little he's revealed to us has some of us so awestruck and some so confused, you can see why he didn't reveal any more. But you will never be able to find out God by starting out like Columbus did, nor will you be able to put out under space a Sputnik as Russia did, and then they published in their paper that they hadn't discovered God out there in space, and they assumed he was not there. May I say to you, canst thou be searching, find out God? You can put those little gadgets out in space, but they're not going to find God. I mean, that's absurd. And man today cannot pour anything in a test tube or look at anything under a microscope or penetrate out yonder through a telescope 
He's not going to be able to discover God. That's not the way. God must reveal himself to man. This is a profound statement, but Job's going to tell him who didn't know this. Well, verse 8, it is as high as heaven that canst thou do. Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And this is a tremendous discourse he's giving here, but it's not touching the need of Job at all. And we'll see that in just a moment. Now he says, if he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? For he knoweth vain man. He seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For a vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Now, he is, of course, speaking of Job and not himself here. He himself feels like he has the answers. Verse 13, If thou prepare thine heart, stretch out thine hands toward him. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. All three of his friends assume that, that Job was covering up. And that was not it at all. They did not, of course, understand God. They didn't understand Job. They didn't understand themselves. And it put them in a rather awkward place. They were not able to be helpful to Job at all. Now he goes on to say here, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away. Well, Job actually doesn't know just what he would put away. And yet there was something, as we shall see. Now, verse 15, For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. He says, if you just deal with the sin that's in your life and quit fighting it, why, you would be heard. And God would answer your prayer and restore you. And then he concludes this discourse in verse 20 by saying, But the eyes of the wicked shall fail. They shall not escape and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. In other words, he's saying to Job, you are going to come to the time when the judgment of God will be upon you unless you confess your secret sin. He predicts there will be absolute and complete judgment of Job. Now, that concludes Zophar's address and actually attack upon Job. And all three friends now have had their little say. Now, Job's going to answer him. This is probably the lengthiest discourse of all that we have here. Then we'll have the second round. This is, you remember, like a game. That is, people in that day enjoyed intellectual discourses. That is, men pitting their minds one against another. Today, it's brawn, not brain. And as a result, why... We could liken this, that we're coming now to the second round in the fight. Or we could say this is the second inning, if we're talking about baseball. And this is the second half, if we're talking about basketball or football. And whatever it is, why, they're going to go around again. But now, let's listen to Job here, because we're going to be able now to draw some conclusions here that I hope will be of great benefit to us because that's the purpose of this discourse and the purpose of this book in the Word of God. God has a message here for us. 
And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. Now, that's a sarcastic statement, friend, and it's a pretty good one, I want to say. Job says, Well, you fellows act as if you've got all the answers. You're the people, and wisdom will die with you. But he says, But I have understanding as well as you. They're acting as if Job is a simpleton, and they have all the answers. And he says, I'm not inferior to you, yea, who knoweth not such things as these. Now, these men have not spoken into the situation as it really is. And this is the thing that we will notice as we go on in the discourses. But I think at this point, I ought to call it to your attention so you can watch for it. Because here is something, friends, that's important for us today. In place now of leading Job to self-judgment, they only ministered to a spirit of self-vindication. In other words, they make an attack upon Job, and he comes back and defends himself. And as a result, they actually did not introduce God into the scene. They do not speak of a God of mercy and of grace, but a God of law. And he is a God of law, but he's a God of grace and mercy. And they said some true things, but they didn't give him the truth. They brought in experience and tradition and legality, but they didn't bring in the truth, you see. Now, actually, what is happening is just simply this. When they made their incrimination against this man, Job, it caused Job to defend himself. And Job is saying that he's right. And the minute that Job said he's right, we'll come to this later on, that Job, by justifying himself, he's not justifying God, you see. And up to this point, why, it looks as if Job is saying that God is wrong. And God is the one to be criticized. And that's the position a lot of people take today, even a lot of Christian folk. Now, they should have led Job to condemn himself and to vindicate God. And that is something that's very important. Now, we're going to come back to that because that's going to be the very backbone of all of this. All of these utterances that we have here prove how far Job was from that true brokenness of spirit and humility of mind which ever flow from being in the divine presence. Now, his friends never got him into that place where he could say, as Paul said, I know that within me, within my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, or I am what I am by the grace of God. There are too many Christians today that boast of who they are, what they've done, and actually what they give. It looks as if God is over on the receiving side and not on the giving side. It looks as if they are superior and that God is not superior. My friend, may I say to you that you and I are not witnessing correctly for God. And I don't care how many people you buttonhole and tell them about Jesus. You and I are not witnessing until you and I take the place, a place of where we're condemned and God is vindicated, and God is to be praised, and God is to be honored. Now, this is tremendous in this book. Now, let me move on here 
in chapter 12. This man, Job, now, he's a sick man, but I tell you, he's standing up to these men so far. He says, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. In other words, he's saying, you fellas, you're in a comfortable position and you are able to give advice to me, but I'm slipping, I'm falling, and you have no word for me at all. You know, for years, I was a pastor, and I guess the professional enters in. I would go to the hospital, person is sick, maybe dying. I'd pat them on their hand, you know, and I'd say, oh, God will be with you, and I'd pray for them, and I'd say, God will lead you, and I'd walk out. Then the day came, when I went to the hospital, but not to visit anybody, but to lie on that bed myself. And when somebody prayed for me and walked out, I didn't walk out. I stayed there. Now, my friend, I want to say to you, that's a little different position than to be in the other fellow's shoes. Now you're not walking out. You don't even have your shoes on. You're in bed. You're going to be operated on. May I say to you, that's the time that you need somebody to help you and comfort you. And that's what Job is saying all through this chapter here. And this is, by the way, a very wonderful chapter. In fact, all of them are here. But I'm not going into detail here because I want to move down in just this moment that is left to us into chapter 13. He says, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this. Mine ear heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. Now, you see, he gives all of this, this discourse in the 12th chapter, to show these men that he knows what they know. And they have not told him anything new. They've not been helpful to him at all. Now, he gets to the very crux of the matter. He says, surely I would speak to the Almighty. He says, I want to talk to God. And I desire to reason with God. Or somebody could only been there to tell him about the grace and the mercy of God and how God wanted to help him. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. In other words, Job is saying, you have not diagnosed my case. You are trying to give me treatment. Well, let's say I'm having trouble with diabetes. And you want to take my lungs out. You want to operate on me. You've missed the whole point. Now, we'll go on with Job's discourse next time. Friends, we're moving in profound territory here, and we're touching on the mountaintops in this tremendous book that deals with these great issues of life. Do you feel like, Job, that you're caught in a situation where you need some help and understanding, but the help you're getting from friends and family really is no help at all? Do you find yourself wanting to bring your case before God? Well, the Bible says that there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, then today would be a great day to do just that. He's the one who can give you life, because he already paid the price of your death. 
If you want some additional information about God's way of salvation, you can ask for what we call our salvation packet. In it, you'll get a great little booklet by Dr. McGee called Faith Plus Nothing Equals Salvation. If you want the resource, just call us. Do it any time. You can leave a voicemail message along with your name, address, and the call letters of this station. Now, if you're already a child of God and you want to bring your case before him, you've been granted access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. So turn to him in your time of need. We'd also like to suggest our book, J. Vernon McGee on Comfort. That's a resource that we know that you'd find helpful during troubling times. Now, we know that many of you are getting ready to take your annual family trips during the summer vacation time, so we'd like to remind you, if you're concerned about missing the program while you're gone, there are some options for you to think about. First, view the radio log online at ttb.org, and then find the radio station and times that we air our program in the cities that you'll be going to. And then you can also listen to the program online while you travel, or catch up with the programs the same way when you return. You can also download the broadcast as a podcast to your favorite MP3 player. And, of course, if you have a smartphone, the best and easiest way to access our studies is through one of our mobile apps. You can find more information about these options by going to ttb.org. If you'd like to contact our offices to order any of the items that we mentioned, ask to be on our mailing list, or to request the Salvation Packet, call 1-800-65-BIBLE, Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Through the Bible Radio in the U.S. Box 7100, Pasadena, California 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario N6C 6B1. Tomorrow, we'll continue our study in Job as he makes his defense. So be sure to join us as the Bible bus rolls along on its five-year journey through the whole Word of God. This program's been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.